right, Betsy. Welcome to the show. Welcome. You are listening to the Well Pod. I'm Betsy. And I'm Jared. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you. Um, <clears throat> so today... We're going to uh, go back to one of the most significant moments in modern history. Yes, we are. We're going to chat about the Manhattan Project. This is really, really big, and there's so many details. And if you watch any of the shows with regards to this, this undertaking is not... It, it was huge. It mm-hmm. was humongous. Mm-hmm. It it was entire cities. Uh, well, and three nations got involved with it, all, albeit to different levels. Each nation. Yeah. So, honestly, this is we're gonna scratch just like little tiny cat scratches onto the Manhattan Project. But first, yeah, you it's know, it's been a big news week. Yeah. Well, first of all. <laughs> It would take someone a lot more substantial than us would, to do a good show on this. The research into this alone. So I've watched several shows with regards to the Manhattan Project, just because it's really interesting how um, how it all came together. And and there's there's still people alive today that participated in in different senses in this project, and mm-hmm. and the level of security that went into this project and these giant facilities that were literally the largest facilities ever built. Yeah. A mile long. And they, they would wrap them in like this serpentine shape so that they didn't go a country mile, Mm -hmm. but they would have people that would have to walk this mile long serpentine building the the thing that uh the thing that surprises me most about it is that it was spread across the whole nation in a time of extreme secrecy in a time of war before there was um before there was like nowadays internet would be our avenue for pulling this off so everything had to be hand delivered and moved back and forth and and I imagine there was a lot of stalling out time. I mean, it's just crazy, but we will get into that uh, here in a minute. But I think first we need to talk about uh, some news. So, so Betsy, we covered. While I, while I fill this out, I would like you to talk about some trains. Okay, but first we oh. we covered the balloon, and then the very next day they shot the silver thing out of the sky. They've shot down and then four of them now. The very next day they shot down another one over but the that, Yukon. Let's cover that at the end of this. <coughs> so, cuz I think freight that train. may tie into this. So we had a derailment. This freight train, 150 cars just shy of 2 miles long, derailed in the town of East Palestine. This is in Ohio. The population of this town, it's a pretty small town, 4700 people. Now, this train is uh, significant because at least 20 of the cars were carrying hazardous materials that have resulted in this chemical spill, this giant catastrophe. And this derailment led to a huge fire. The jury's out whether or not it was set to burn it off or if it spontaneously lit. I've heard it both ways. But it also, based on the contaminants, created this possibility of this massive explosion so should the fire reach these chemicals that were contained inside the cars, it's a different type of uh, incendiary than those spilled. Those spilled will catch and burn off. But if it 
if it were to go to the cars where the chemicals were still contained, it would be a, a bomb. Yeah, the, that. What's that stuff called to make vinyl? Got it written in here. It's vinyl chloride is the chemical. But if if it were to catch fire in these contained um, train cars, these rail cars, it would lead to this giant explosion, sending shrapnel and other sharp Mm -hmm. objects projecting across a very large radius, as well as the release of these toxic gases into the air, which... You know, newsflash, too late. So, yeah, we're talking February 4th, not that long ago. The residents were told to evacuate. The officials had decided to do a controlled spill and burn off some of the dangerous chemicals. So five of the train cars were known to be carrying toxins like the volatile vinyl chloride as yeah, well as phosgene chloride. and hydrogen chloride. No. Can I have a minute to chat about phosgene? <laughs> yes, phosgene is a uh, a World War One chemical agent that we used in the trenches. Yeah, it was a French chemical agent, commonly paired with uh, chlorine. But it's it like chlorine; it attacks your your uh, your lungs, mm-hmm. causing pulmonary edemas. I don't know what any of these things are. I just know that they kill you. But so this thing's carrying phosgene. What is phosgene used for in uh, in our modern world? That's what I wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Why are, why are we tra- training or railing phosgene around the country? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So the vinyl chloride is commonly used to make hard plastic and other household goods. That makes sense. It's also explosive, really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, emergency workers, knowing the imminent danger of the spill, breached the tanker and leaked the vinyl chloride into this large trench and then lit it a fire before it could explode. <laughs> well, yeah, they did want it trapped inside of the uh, fragmentation grenade rail car, if you will. Although, keep in mind... When it's burned, it releases toxic gas into the air. Mm-hmm. So the in- inhalation of these gases can eventually result in a face fatality. And eventually is not a very good word because it's like within two to three days of exposure. <laughs> eventually. Like you've got long enough to maybe visit a lawyer and get your affairs in order. Yeah. Now, the hydrogen chloride, another, it's pretty common. Um, it it forms corrosive hydrochloric acid on contact with water found in body tissue. So inhalation of the fumes can cause coughing, choking, inflammation, respiratory t- tract um, it, where it kind of seizes, and then pulmonary edema, circulatory system failure, and death. Skin ca- contact causes severe chemical burns. And hydrogen chloride may cause severe burns to the eye and permanent eye damage as well. Oh, yeah, and it doesn't take a lot to cause that eye damage. So since this exposure, this broad exposure, what we had was this burning of these chemicals, sending them into the atmosphere, and then some heavy rains, Mm. bringing it down in what people are considering to be like an acid rain. Well, and there was a... 
what did the, what did the meteorologists call it? Uh, a meteorological word. <laughs> An inversion. Yeah, which that, held it really close. The, when they burned that stuff off, the big black cloud, which they had planned on it going up, hitting the atmosphere, dissipating, making Greta Thunberg feel super happy, I'm sure. Yes. And what it did is it went up and it stopped rather low. Yep. And then after an inversion, it rains. Yep. And so it trapped it there. It hung out there up in the air like a balloon because that's what 2023 is now. <laughs> and then it put it right it back down, down on us. Yep. And so residents started noticing like people would go out when they were told that it was fine to go home and their chickens are dead. Well, yeah, on February 4th, they were told to leave. On February 9th, they were told, okay, it's okay to come back home. They came back home, and even today, they're having meetings over and over again saying, the air smells weird, my eyes are burning, my lungs are burning, I've got this cough. Uh, it's still here, obviously. Yeah, there's, there is, uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, a guy raised foxes. Yep. And all his foxes killed over. A lady had chickens. All her chickens killed over. Fish. Um, These uh, rivers are full of just floating fish that are dead. We're talking the Ohio River. It's the major tributary to to the Mississippi. The Mississippi, which that cuts the U.S. in half. And so, um, and on the banks of this is nothing but dead fish and frogs. Yeah. Just, man, this is... I mean, and there then, are videos, and honestly, they're not talking about this enough on the news. No. But if you go to hometown reporting, like TikTok, local, um, local reporting, like our ABC4 would be, you know, NBC2 yeah, in Ohio or whatever. Yeah, or, or, uh, or another good place to get info on this is if you go watch any of the, Internet newscasts, you know, uh-huh. such as uh, you've got the Hill, you've got Breaking Points, where they do almost an exclusive uh, show for YouTube or Rumble or BitChute or what have you, and they're going in deep on it and they're digging it down. Now, do I think the national news should cover it a lot? No, but. I think if Trump was president, CNN and MSNBC would try to talk about this nonstop to blame it on Trump. To blame it on Trump. <laughs> this wouldn't have happened if Trump wasn't everything in office. Ha- now, I want to take a moment to talk about Mayor Pete. In Ohio? Pete Buttigieg. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Our transportation secretary. Um. Right now, with him, we're looking at a cacophony of uh, failure. One Easily. There's a lot more uh, failures happening in the transportation sector. Mm -hmm. It kicked off with, right after he got in, we had all those issues all through last year with the airlines and all that. Of course, he had a couple instances where he... Couldn't fly to D.C., had to drive because of the airline problems that he's, of course, the boss of. Uh, Not that he's the boss of the airlines, but he's in charge of 
their regulations and upkeep, which they broke all the rules. And then, uh, then we have the railroad strike, which I they wonder. They're saying that this is an aftermath of that. Some people are saying that, and I wonder, and it could be. But the railroad strike, this this derailment in Ohio, they're speculating it. And I worked with trains for a number of years, so I'm very familiar with how they work and, and the system. I'm, I'm, okay, I shouldn't say very because there's probably lots of stuff I don't know. But the way the air brakes work is that the front cars brake first and the back cars brake last. This was a 1.8-mile-long train. 150 cars, and let's say there's a half-second delay between each car braking. When you get down to 150, that's, you know, a full minute of 65 miles an hour at 135,000 pounds a car that are ramming into the back of each other. And apparently under Obama, they worked to make a modern braking system mandatory. And... Before even Obama was out, that was getting shut down because, you know, government's for sale. Um, it would have been expensive. Would that have saved this derailment? I don't know. That's just the, what I'm hearing. It could be people are digging around to find a reason to blame, you know, the government for this or whatever. And believe me, I'm with you. If I can blame everything on the government, I'm down for that because, <laughs> uh, I mean, all they do is once a year I have to go before them and, you know, get my annual uh, spanking prostate examination <laughs> by force in the form of the IRS. But so there is talk of this corporate malfeasance. The, it's been reported um, that this and many trains due to the rail strike, uh, the sidelined rail strike at any rate have been understaffed and under-maintained. Yeah, and the, the guys are probably worn out, probably having a hard time hiring people like everywhere else is. Everywhere's having a hard time hiring people, and if you don't offer a package that sounds like a, a positive package to someone, like you don't have sick days or you can't have vacation or you can't spend time with your family, some people are... Hesitant? I uh, I think, <laughs> Reticent? I think we're looking at a sea change in culture. Yeah. And, I, and think I, think, I think the rail lines, I understand the pressure, but I think the rail lines, um, they demand, they the demands that they put on their employees are much higher than most people anticipate. Oh, yeah. Their safety demands are um, cutthroat. And well, and their attendance demands. Their you, attendance. You're not allowed to be yeah. sick. You yeah. will report. You have zero sick days. Yeah. And when I worked in rail, I worked with a lot of guys that were in the UP, and you would see them come in sick as a dog. Yep. And, uh, and you know, the way they worked, I, and the guys walking around coughing, looks like they dug him up out of the ground and, you know, and he's running the show. Popped him out of the coffin, and he's running a deadly show. Mm-hmm. The railroad is unforgiving. Yep. There is no uh, oops in railroad. Yeah. It's 
probably the single heaviest damaging thing on land, you know. Yeah. And and so we have this on the 4th and then today this morning we have another derailment in Detroit. In Detroit right off of the Huron River. Yeah. And it also has uh deadly chemicals. Yep. And um it's also being said that it was understaffed and undermaintained. Shocker. Yeah. And it's because it is because of the demand. I understand that. We move a ton of product mm-hmm. by rail and um, we spend very little time or money invested in the improvement of our rail systems. Yep. So it's a double-edged sword and it is just what it is. So back to our main story. Okay, yes. Back to the story. So Manhattan Project. It was a top-secret government project that brought together some of the world's greatest minds. The whole point of this was to create a weapon that would forever change the course of human history. That was the idea. Yeah. And so these three scientists, or not three scientists, I've got this stuff all written down because... This is such a complicated. So it was, thing. it was a group of physicists. Uh, Albert oh, Einstein, yes, was in that. Sir Albert Einstein. I mean, everyone knows him. Um, Leo Ciard. Can't even read it. And Eugene Wigner. So they approached President. <laughs> they approached President Franklin I know Roosevelt. Einstein. Einstein's the dude with the crazy hair. Yes. Yes. Now, this project was led by the United States, but it did have the support mm-hmm. of the United Kingdom and Canada. Mm-hmm. And it was named after the Manhattan Engineer District of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, mm-hmm. which managed the project. So it wasn't yes. in Manhattan. It was just named after that. Yes. So they approached these three scientists, physicists, excuse me, Einstein, Siard, and Wigner approached the president at the time, FDR, about the potential military applications of nuclear energy. They were concerned at the time that Nazi Germany might be developing a nuclear weapon, and they urged FDR to begin a program to develop an atomic bomb. So mm-hmm. all weapons programs are well, shrouded in secrecy. Didn't they, they like kind of wrote him a letter and said, hey, you know, we're physicists. All of us are German. Go figure, you know, they all fled Germany because mm-hmm. of the rise of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. And they said, in Germany, we were working on this new theory. And, you know, kind of Marie Curie 40 years ago started to kick this off. And then here we are and we're looking at atomic. And there's this theory that we can split an atom, which would result in an extreme release of energy like nothing we've ever seen before. Right. And uh, I imagine FDR, um, you know, let's just, he's sitting at that fancy desk and he, uh, he pooed himself. <laughs> and said, okay. It can, it can what? So they Let's encouraged him to fund this research and development of an atomic bomb or the splitting of an atom that releases energy. That still is unparalleled. And and this is awesome stuff to think. Like, if you've ever had the chance to study the guy that invented the periodic table of elements, that guy, um, I don't know how he learned to walk because his brain (laughs) 
had he to be like, like he, he he would look like a bobblehead. If he nodded head. to you, he would not be able to stop nodding for three or four days. <laughs> like he would do one little exertion of energy and I'd just carry on. And he'd walk around looking crazy because he weighed different elements that they only had at the time. This is in like the early 1800s maybe even late 1700s, he would take different elements and figure out how big things are and weigh them. And he built a periodic table saying, okay, this little element weighs this much and this one weighs this much. That means this one has two atoms and this one has four atoms and this one has five. And then he's getting into there where there's elements we don't know about that or missing off of his weigh list. So he says, I'm going to leave that one blank for someone to figure out later. It's, and It's insane. Because like first uranium. of all, he had to isolate these yeah. elements. And I don't understand how you do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would break it down for you guys, but it's a, <laughs> we're talking Manhattan Project tonight. <laughs> so this project brought together some of the world's brightest minds in, visit, in physics, including both physicists, chemists, and engineers. Mm -hmm. And they were tasked, once they got the go-ahead by FDR, and a gigantic budget. Yes, yes. Unheard of amount of money. Yes. They were tasked with designing and building the atomic bomb, Mm -hmm. a weapon the likes that had never been seen before. The the stuff of, of imagination. Yeah, and and this massive scientific and engineering effort involved tens of thousands of people in pure secrecy. And if you watch some of these um, these like interviews with people who worked there, there was a lady that showed her actual badge. That is like a piece of history I would love to have. <laughs> she still has her actual badge that she would use to identify herself and get allowed into her spot. But if you talk to them, they compartmentalized this knowledge so so that the secrets the secrecy could be absolute. She didn't know what the pipes were for, and she was told that it wasn't her job to know what the pipes were for, but her job was to check for leaks. Yeah. And the next guy knew what this stretch of pipe was for, but not the stretch next to him. Yeah, they they there was very few people that knew the overall. Yeah, yeah. And every little person had a job. Like your job is to push this button. That thing goes and you and out comes the stuff that we make go boom. But you don't know about it, and you pick it up with these special bongs, and you put it in this lead bag, and probably die of cancer three years. But yeah. So it was that compartmentalization that allowed this giant project to remain. So if we talk about the most notable scientists who played key roles in this project, we've got to start with Robert Robert Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. He's literally referred to as the father of the atomic bomb. He is. He was the the guy in charge of the Los Alamos laboratory. He was the scientific director. Yeah, who's and which meant he was kind of in charge of all of it. He was mm-hmm. kind of in charge of where they got together to kind of plan it. He was in charge of where they kind of assembled it and where they uh, structured the whole design. And then from there, other people would go out, you know, to 
to Oak Ridge or to Washington or New Mexico and they would do all that. But he was the one who was kind of the, the boss. Yeah, he was like the, the pin in the middle. The next one is Fermi, Enrico Fermi, yep, Nobel Prize winning, yep, Nobel Prize winning physicist who led the team that achieved, achieved the first controlled nuclear chain reaction at the University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And also wrote the Fermi paradox, wondering mm-hmm. where are all the aliens? That's right. The Fermi paradox is his. That's what it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, he was instrumental also in the development of nuclear reactors that produced plutonium. Yes, and that, I mean, today France gets most of its energy from nuclear. France was smart. They jumped on that nuclear bandwagon and said, we're going to lie to ourselves. Germany said, no, no, no. I'm sure there won't be any problems with Russia. We'll use their gas. And now Germany's (laughs) burning coal. Yeah. Hans Beth, or Beth, was a theoretical physicist who made significant contributions to the development of the atomic bombs. He was responsible for calculating the energy released by the explosion. So the the physicists and the theoretical ph- physicists both played individual parts, but Hans Beeth was, he calculated the actual expenditure of energy. Glenn Seaborg, Another, Nobel Prize winning chemist. You know, it's funny for brains that big, I'll bet they all had super skinny necks. 100%. It's just shocking how... Terrible, terrible people skills. Like if they stand up too fast <laughs> and their head leans, they go charging off that way. Just massive brains. I'll bet the wrinkles in there are just tight. <laughs> Looks like a crocheted blanket. <laughs> so Seaborg, he played a key role in the development of the plutonium. Then we've got Feynman. Feynman, also a theoretical physicist, um, he worked at the Los Alamos location. He played a key role in the development of the theory of nuclear fission and later became a prominent scientist and educator. And then Lise Meitner, an Austrian physicist, also made significant contributions. Lise was the only female that was in this group of, of key roles. But I want to side note you for a second. Did you know that the only person allowed to photograph all this was a female? I wouldn't doubt it. That they hired. She talked her way in and they, they thought hired, she'll never understand this. They hired. I imagine it was like a madman episode. but <laughs> And she wore high heels on everyone. But they hired a female photographer being a sign of the times and um and she did uh all the uh, she was the only allowed photographer in all this including at the trinity and project there are tons of photographs yes i mean it there's, there's videos just tons of it at oak ridge there's an entire museum now on the space where the building once sat that is completely devoted to memorabilia about the manhattan project So, Mm -hmm. this is a nationwide effort. Separate locations, specializing in separate activities, all coordinated during war. (laughs) Like, Mm. we're at war. Yeah, and at war with... We're at a war where... um, It was the first war where intelligence truly bled through and made a lot of difference. It was the first really 
technological war. And this is at a time before modern means of communication. So well, you can't just put this in the post and send it. It had to be hand-delivered, all of this communication. Oh, yeah. That they're probably army uh, couriers just cruising on trains, planes, and automobiles and probably boats. With a little briefcase. And yeah, and they would sell, and they've got this briefcase with the handcuff to them, and they're wearing a fedora hat. And this and would have taken so much communication. Just how many daily, times? Ten times a day. How many times do you think that guy showed up, opened his briefcase, and there was like a three by five card in it? <laughs> he was like, take it. So we have lots of different sites. We have Los Alamos, that's the primary site. It was where the theoretical and experimental work was conducted and where the bombs were designed and assembled. We have Oak Ridge. This was the site that was responsible for the production of enriched uranium through a process that was grueling called gaseous diffusion. Mm. They take this, they take this and they heat it and then the gas is where the enriched uranium is, but they have to do it so many times to get just these tiny little amounts. Chicago, Illinois, this is where the first sustained nuclear chain reaction was achieved by Enrico Fermi. Mm -hmm. Hanford, Washington, responsible for the production of plutonium prior to plutonium. Now, enriched uranium was the way they were going, and it was labor-intensive until someone said, you know what? You can do this with plutonium. Mm -hmm. And so they switched operation to plutonium. They refit this mile-long building to then process plutonium. Mm -hmm. So then the S-1 committee, this was the project's initial planning and coordinating body. This was established in 1941 to oversee and guide the project. Then we had the Trinity test site. This is Alamogordo, New Mexico, where... That's why they I have take, her reading this, folks. Did you see how she just rolled that element of blood? Yeah. Off her tongue? So they take the bomb, they build it, they I'd design it, it and assemble it in Los Alamos, and then they take it to Alamogordo, which is not very far from Los Alamos, and yeah. they detonate, it, test it. Double bomb distance away, at yes. least. It, you know, like, how far will this blast go? Oh, about seven miles. We don't want to blow up our plant. Walk out there 14 <laughs> and set it down for me, would you? So... This is a big deal in the middle of wartime with these. These aren't close. Like Alamogordo and Los Alamos are not close to Chicago or even to Oak Ridge. Like this is no. far. You've got, I mean, Oak Ridge is closer to Chicago than Alamogordo. Yeah. And Hartford. Yeah. I mean, like this is, this is huge distance. It's a giant project. And Granted, I understand why they picked Oak Ridge, because mm -hmm. they could get uranium there. I understand why they picked Hartford, because it had a, a relatively science-forward college there. Uh, New Mexico, because, I mean, who's going to see it? It's middle of desert, you know. I mean, yeah, nobody's there. So they try several methods to get to this sustained controlled reaction. Um, the gaseous diffusion of uranium was just one of the, the several methods that they tried to, to get the, um, the, the particular elements needed in order to have this. Now, 
one of the primary ways that they would control chaining or chain reactions was by using materials known as control rods. Now, these control rods are made of materials such as cadmium and boron that absorb the neutrons, which are the particles that cause the nuclear reactions to occur. So by inserting control rods into the nuclear reactor, scientists were able to slow down or stop the chain reaction. So not only were we trying to enrich uranium, get our hands on enough plutonium, but we also had to create these control rods using cadmium and boron. Two more items on that periodic table that he's like, yeah, leave it blank. So they, in addition to all of these different kinds of elements that needed to be collected and pulled together and changed in one way or another to make them usable, they also needed a coolant, which is why a lot of these places were built near large water. Mm-hmm. So the water helped to absorb the heat generated by the nuclear reactions and prevent the reactor from well, overheating. Just like with your vehicle's engine, they can pu- push the water past the hot element. The water absorbs the heat, but the water can take the heat away with it. Mm-hmm. And and so the water can pull heat away. You can, of course, use air to cool it, but not everybody's a VW, so <laughs> we're going to go with water, like good Americans. So that, may, that likely played largest into where these plants were located, recognizing that, you know, Alamogordo may be a great place to detonate a bomb, but it's dry. They probably didn't build anything there except the bomb. Yeah, like it's it's dry. We're talking desert dry. We're talking about the outcome. I mean, just popped in my head. What if the scientists wanted atomic uh, energy theory tested? And they couldn't afford it in the college. Hundred percent. So they went to FDR and said, "Let's make yeah, it a weapon." Hitler's building a bomb with it. Get on it. And then they're like, and so first thing they do before they build the bomb, they promised FDR was build an atomic reactor to see if so they could get can... the thermal. Because we've known about thermal energy and, and how to harness thermal energy forever. You know, essentially, you get something hot. Put a beta blade above it that the heat will spin the blade. Put a generator on top of that blade that will pull electricity off of the heat, off off of the you know, spinning spin. of the blade. Yep. And that would be really cool if that's what they did. I mean, sad for a lot of people. It was a, in Japan. It was a tragic ending. It um, is. But I would. A lot of people argue that it was an ending. Um, we will get into that. We we will get into some of that uh, some of that argument here in a minute. So, July sixteenth, nineteen forty five, the first test of the atomic bomb. The bomb was named Trinity, and it was an equivalent to the explosion of twenty thousand tons of TNT. Yes, that's a lot. Yes, that that's like a lot, a lot. Twenty thousand tons, and so. and. It's not the size of 20,000 tons of TNT. No. So. And they've even gotten smaller and more powerful now. The test 
The images and videos of this explosion, again, there's so much out there. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most memorable videos and pictures that you'll ever see when it comes to atomic testing. And this test was a huge success. And the t- scientists knew at that very moment they had created a weapon that was more powerful than anything the world had ever seen. Then the atomic bomb would go on to be used in two attacks on Japan. Hiroshima, August 6th. We're not even talking that long later. July 16th, they test it. I mean, August 6th, 1945, same year, Hiroshima. Then August 9th, three days later, Nagasaki. The bombings of these two areas are still very controversial today. Some argue that they were necessary to end the war quickly, while others believe that they were unnecessary and that alternative options, such as a demonstration of the bomb's power, just simply demonstrating that we have this and we can use it may have been enough. Well, that's the question. Let's uh, let's talk about the uh, alternative. Like maybe finding an island close enough to Japan and inviting them to watch as you make this island go pop. Yeah. Would that have worked? Um, possibly. I, uh, I think- thus far, we had run, we had run Japan off of all the islands in the Pacific, except for their own. We had run Japan off of the mainland of Asia. Russia had started running Japan out of Manchuria. Um, Japan was not giving up. And granted, uh, Japan probably, because their culture was an honor-based culture, which is why they treated uh, people who surrendered so harshly. Um, Why they, they were willing to fight to the end. And they had started training their populace like even in schools with sticks to use as spears, training their populace in, in resistance. So would that have worked? And how bloody and awful would it have gotten had um, our soldiers and Marines had to storm the beach and move ashore and move inland and city by city and town by town and and the the worst part for me is when you watch the videos from back then that Japan put out of them training their children. Uh, it, it, we're talking 12, mm-hmm. 11 year old kids to use spears to fight off the Marines. So that is a big cost. Yeah. So these bombs were dropped by B-29 bombers. Yeah. And they killed an estimate. The Enola Gate. Yeah, it killed an estimated 200,000 people, mostly civilians, yep. and caused immense, I mean, it flattened cities. Yeah. It turned them to dust. There are pictures of shadows of a person that were burned into concrete when the person mm-hmm. disintegrated. Yeah, like the the hot flash that came before the blast uh, you know, a microsecond before, burned the concrete, but where the person was caused enough shadow that it burned the concrete different. 
And you can tell in these pictures, like I said, there's so many pictures. You can tell in these pictures that these were people. These shadows oh, yeah. were one, bodies. One of them, the saddest one, is it looks like a little old lady on a cane. Yeah. But And then there's awful stories. Like there's a young girl who wrote her story about it, how she woke up, she went to, to her, uh, she was in, you know, first or second grade. She went there. She was playing on the playground. The alarms went off because we've been bombing Tokyo, so they started putting uh, sirens in in some places. And and then she was kind of on the suburbs, I guess. And the flash hit, and it gave her immediate third-degree burns, and her skin is kind of flaking off. This girl lived and wrote her story. Her little brother was in the same school, but she fled the school she lived because of where she was playing. I think her teacher did not, and a lot of her friends, her and a lot of her friends ran away, ran towards the river, and um, the river was full of dead people floating down it and stuff. It's just a harrowing story. But the hard part is thinking about a, you know, a, not even a teenager yet, just hitting that flash burn. But I guess that's when you individualize the moment because you know um war takes the humanity away i don't think anyone in japan was talking about what uh unit 731 i think it is was doing in china at the time which is easily as evil as as anything ever done i say i'm not familiar with that That'll be another show. That's, That's another why we show. know how long it takes to freeze a human. Anyways. So the decision to drop these, they, you know, I'm sure it was not taken lightly. Yeah. Well, let it me, was believed that the bombings would bring an end to the war and save American lives. And it, and it did, arguing, I would say, with the addition of Russia coming in from Manchuria. Uh, they were deathly afraid of the communists taking over. They saw what the communists do. But let's pose another thought. What if Truman had decided not to use it? I know. And they found out later that he had it and didn't use it. And we lost 600,000 Marines taking that island. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we killed. 20, 2020s, hindsight's always 2020. So yeah. um, it's easy. It's, I think oftentimes you get, caught up in the moment of things and it's really difficult to see the ramifications in the future um and and arguably sometimes you're put in a position where you don't have that luxury where you have to make a decision based on your intel today mm -hmm. and and i would hate to be in that position i would hate to have been in that position the hold or not hold pattern would suck it would suck yes so, despite the devastation, it did lead to the end of World War II and yes, changed the course of human history. It ushered in the nuclear age and forever changed the way we think about war and peace. And it set the stage for the Cold War and the arms race that followed. And I would um, argue we are just still in the height of today. We kind of are, <laughs> though. I think we're moving into a new arms race. I yeah, think, I think 
states around the world are learning that nuclear is expensive. It's hard to maintain, hard to control. Yeah, it's a big threat, but it's expensive. I mean, look at North Korea. I mean, they're still half impotent with theirs, and they've been trying to do it forever. Yeah. Cyber war is where it's at now. Yeah. So regardless of one's opinions on the bombing, there's no denying the Manhattan Project was, and still is today, one of the most significant scientific achievements. I don't know if I'd call it achievement. <laughs> well, I in would. human history, history. Let's say, I mean, right now, it, if you are uh, Greta Thunbergite, um, you should be thankful for this. And here's the way you you want to you want to stop this uh, use of uh, carbon emissions or whatever. Nuclear <laughs> is the only answer. Wind ain't gonna do it. Solar ain't gonna do it. Yep. We don't have the battery technology for whatever. But um, nuclear is the answer. Yeah. That is the future that we have to move towards, whether it's fission or fusion. Um, one is separating, one's combining, which apparently they're making big moves on fusion right now. I see stories every day, but that is where we have, that's our next step in the future. And it may very well be our undoing. Uh, it might, but... We've had how many nuclear meltdowns? Oh, it's just a drop in the bucket. We've had two. Well, we have um, the one in Japan. Okay, three. We've had Three Mile Island. Three Mile Island. One in Japan. One in Japan, and then, of course, Chernobyl. Okay. I think, if I remember, the U.S. has some 65 nuclear plants. Right. France has easily that many for a place the size of utah with the popular let's call it texas and france gets all their energy from nuclear from nuclear and germany doesn't because germany apparently followed hollywood too close when they went out and said don't use nuclear and ban it which is why we're not using nuclear because ronald reagan's daughter and all those a-list actors of the time all said nuclear's bad and now we are looking at either we kill 30% of the population in the next six months by shutting off gas, which or, is what it would do, <laughs> or we keep on making Greta Thunberg cry. Take your pick. So I don't know. And then when we make Greta Thunberg happy and 30% of the human population dies in six months, we're going to have to hand dig all them. Gravesites are burning. Let's go through the nations who uh, have nuclear. Oh, yeah, whole list of them. Nuclear weapons right now. Yeah, not just nuclear for peaceful reasons, but for military purposes. Yes, so the Non-Proliferation Treaty was signed in the 80s. Uh, Reagan, Thatcher, uh, Gorby. Um, it was signed, and what it was, it was all the nuclear-armed countries at the time came together and says, we're not going to sell this to other people. Okay. So, U.S., obviously, Russia, United Kingdom, France, and China. Okay. And then, you've got now former USSR states, Belarus, Kazakhstan, and Ukraine 
They gave them back when Russia split up. South Africa have them, but when South Africa uh, kind of stepped down, um, well, they quit being racist bastards. <laughs> they gave up their nuclear weapons because I think they had the foresight to see that um, we don't want to have a nation that's going to be healing from these wounds with all this contention and there's a a whole bunch of stuff. It's another show. They didn't want to have them have weapons, uh, nuclear weapons. And then you've got India and Pakistan, notorious homeboys. <laughs> North Korea, you know, Not with, sad. with his, uh, you know, awesome program. And then Israel, who says they don't have them, but seriously, I mean, it was. We know. It went through Israel when they gave it to Russia. When the, I think the Rosenbergs gave it to Russia, they went through Israel to get to Russia. I mean, we, come on now. So we're not alone. Lots of countries have nuclear weapons. Yes. And All positive actors. Even us. Like, we only have the best intentions. So Yeah, we don't need to dig deep into that. <laughs> So I think I think that um, the Manhattan Project is a reminder of the power of human ingenuity, the responsibility that comes with human ingenuity and these giant-headed brains peoples. <laughs> and that it's important that we use our knowledge and any new knowledge we get, any capabilities we we gather and foster and and grow for the greater good. <laughs> and that means beyond the reach of our shores we've got to think the greater good the overall good the human good mm-hmm. yeah so all right scritchy scratch on the manhattan now but we've got one more story because i'm telling you and then shit's getting weird the old man brought up a story to me the other day that we need to uh bring up at the end of this okay so Brings us to three UFOs. Three have been shot down by NORAD. NORAD is the North American Aerospace Defense Command. Actually, I think it's four now because I remember yes. this was written two days ago and Alrighty. they just keep shooting the UFOs down. So the U.S. Air Force downed airborne objects over Alaska last Friday. So we record on Thursday. <laughs> Boom. We wake up the next morning and it's like, huh, it was a waste. then on canada the very next day on saturday and then the next day over lake huron on sunday so none has been tied to china or any other country but national security council spokesman kirby said more information will be gleaned once their remnants are retrieved (laughs) now there were lots of people recording them flying out to retrieve the ones that were downed off the coast of alaska because it's frozen so easy to find. It's like yeah. barren landscape, big silver thing. They said it was the size of a car. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking like tiny. Yep. And so they did collect that one. Now, the one over Canada, they said, landed in the Yukon somewhere, and they were having trouble collecting it. Yeah, notoriously uh, friendly to move through. Yes. Yukon. Yeah. So once they've retrieved all these remnants, which, by the way, they still haven't retrieved remnants from the Chinese spy balloon because they're in the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. They're or, still trying to get those. Or they've retrieved them and they're keeping it quiet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
they got a guy out there rocking oh, away on a boat. Yeah. He's like, ah, oh, we're still looking. <laughs> yeah. Biden's like, I got a guy. I got, I got, I got a, a guy. Se- keeping shit secret guy. So are they China spies? Another country spies? Uh, another civilization spies? It's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Now, the other idea is, are aliens visiting and monitoring due to the escalation of war between nuclear armed states? People have always said that the first atomic bomb, that trinity, uh-huh. boom, shut off, set off this reaction of encounters like and communication through the universe. Through the universe, because it was so loud that other civilizations near us were like, "Oh shit!" Mm-hmm. Uh, the little little creatures on that planet done something stupid. Marge, get the kids. I gotta go for a ride. Yeah. So, uh, is this an uptick because there is this nuclear arms race that's kind of mm. coming to a, a, a treble clef here? You know, it's raising in its tenure. I don't know. Well, I read a report today. That a hobbyist balloon club I know. is now filing a claim against the uh, U.S. Air Force and DOD and and NORAD um, for shooting that down we shot balloon. down one of their balloons. I can't. So okay. Or have you ever heard of Project Bluebeam, future show? Yeah. Where they talk about. Lasers that shoot into space and where they cross causes a plasma ball of atmosphere that they can control and make it look like whatever they want and also make it make sound, like make it talk. What if, what if the train crashes and now Biden gets on the phone and says, Oh, Pete, this is bad. And he hangs up and then Pete calls. Someone else, oh, this is bad, and then he hangs up. Someone else in the know, CIA director, Secretary of State, gets on the phone to, uh, you know, the, the, uh, you know, uh, uh, MK Ultra guys or whatever, and says, okay, yeah, we got to do something. We got to take their eyes off of this, and then they yep. turn on the Project Blue Beam thing, and boom, I don't know. This is crazy. So, all of this is. Highly coincidental to our supplying additional support to Ukraine. It, that, it's, it's like the day they said, or, or and by the way, fun with China, yeah, over Taiwan. Um, They're like, and in today's news, <laughs> we just sent tanks to Ukraine. But did you see the balloon in the sky? <laughs> Look over there. Did you see the silver thing over Alaska? Wait. There was a train crash. You know, I don't know. Oh, and a lot of people are trying to say the train crash is caused by the government to make us look over there. But that one I doubt because the train crash, the right now, the health professionals around there are telling the people who live there. Monitor. Go get a baseline physical because in six months, if you have cancer, that way you can come in and sue yeah. the rail line. Yeah. What if the aliens are here? Shit's getting weird. Mm, it's getting deep. It's getting deep. All right. Should we run through some 
comments before we get out of here? Yep. All right. Hello, James. Hi, James. James says, and uh, James says, there are those who have thought that the possible increase of UFO sightings occurred in the late 1940s because of the development. Yeah, we chatted about that. Also, last week we did the show on the Japanese uh, firebombs that they sent over, and someone called me and said, uh, you know, they think that that bomb that fell in Roswell or that uh, UFO that fell in Roswell may have been that. <coughs> because the farmer said it had hieroglyphics on it. <laughs> Japanese writing. But Connect that's the a thought. But, la, 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 la. Yes. Yeah. Now, James, I know that uh, you don't want to hear that. But what if it was? <laughs> okay. Uh, da, da, Mike da, da. responded to James. Mike says the day the kids found matches in the backyard. Hey, Mike. Good to see you, man. Andrew, good to see you. Thanks. He said, great show. Got to jump off soon. I'll catch a full thing tomorrow. Good. Uh, coffee and cards with Christy. Hello, hon. Remember, everyone, uh, jump on with Christy. She does Facebook Lives and uh, and does, like, tarot cards and chats. So uh, jump on there. and Coffee and, and cards with Christy. That's how yes. you find her. Yes, it's pretty easy to find. But, everyone, thanks for joining us. That's all the comments we have. Rather... Uh, a uh, quick night, and we've kept it under an hour. Um, oh, just barely. Yes. Hearts and prayers still go out to those in Turkey and Syria. Okay. Uh, uh, hearts and prayers to those that go out. Detroit now is on the list, and, of course, uh, Palestine, Palestine. Palestine, I think is oh, the correct way to say it. They want to separate themselves from the notoriously fought-over land. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, Palestine, you know, hearts and prayers out to them. I hope, I hope, remember the EPA said it was safe to go back into so don't. the, the, uh, 9-11 rubble there yes. in, in the Twin Towers. And it notoriously wasn't. A lot of people died from that. And then, of course, you know, so, I mean, what I'm trying to say, folks, is your government would never lie to you and lead you into something wrong. So believe them at every turn. But act accordingly. Yeah, I mean, right now, uh, pack up your pets, pack up whatever you can, um, figure out what tests you can do, uh, test your water. They're telling like five or two million people not to drink the water or it's safe or something. It's, it's just all over the place and it's scary. I hope, uh, I mean, I seriously hope that this isn't um, one of those forever damaging circumstances yeah but we will be back next week with another fun show um have a great week i, I think uh i want to chat some more ai soon i've got some more scary thoughts on that that i want to bring up to betsy and freak her out about but anyways everyone have a great week be safe have a good weekend have a fun weekend it's starting to get warmer temperatures getting nicer get out and do some stuff and yeah we'll see you thursday <laughs>